is looking like whoa. I right know. Now. Your hair is looking whoa. My hair? Yeah. Thank you. It's quite long, huh? I like it. Yeah. Are you thinking about getting like the, oh, I'm a shoulder cut kind of businesswoman kind of vibe? I don't thing. know what that is, but the only thing I want right now is to have my split ends trimmed, but I don't know how to do that. I'm sure there's a radical out there who knows the thing about cutting hair. Uh, yeah. That's a lot of work. I'm like barely seeing anyone right now. It's a challenge. Michael, yes. the world is watching. The world is here. Hi, how are you? Hava, I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. Yeah gonna have to do better than that i mean i'm 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 editing the bonus material i'm gonna send it to you tonight oh right i forgot we even made that so we're gonna drop that i made some big Mm -hmm. reveals in that yeah but actually um i take back those reveals i'm i'm kind (laughs) of great i'm actually back i'm back on a laugh of joy i'm back on to a certain extent and you know you'll know if you're a patron what i'm talking about yeah Right, you'll know the secrets of our personal lives. Exactly, but I, I'm doing good. My hair's real big. Mm-hmm, I love that. I tried making sugaring paste. <laughs> uh huh. Because I was like, well, I'm a Jew, and like this waxing paste is traditionally used by Persians. And if there's anyone that knows anything <laughs> about hair removal, it's Persians, right? Right. So you know. So it should be a, a crossover hit, is what you're saying. It failed utterly and i ended up mostly just with like sticky goo on my chest it was awful but you know i'm otherwise doing good you know living the dream mm-hmm. made squash soup Ooh. Yeah. i made some squash the other day and it came out well but i regretted leaving the skin on did you bake it yeah it was like this korean braised squash recipe so i baked it and then i braised it it was okay i think i just made the pieces too big i don't know the texture was just unpleasant okay huh yeah it's a hard knock life i've been fantasizing about a day in the future where i am meeting my needs enough to be able to get a car oh my god i saw a a friend of mine friend fellow talent student twitter mutual recently bought a car using carvana I know this sounds like I'm doing like a secret ad read right now, but it's truly just an anecdote. What is Carvana? Oh, you don't know? It's their like commercials are everywhere. It's just like this thing where you can buy cars online and they like deliver it to you. It's crazy. Like a used car or like a new car? Used cars. I think maybe they do new cars. I don't know. They deliver you a used car. That's kind of neat. Yeah, it's kind of neat. And then I looked at their website today and I was like, "Mm, I can't do this now, but maybe in like six months or a year. I'll be able to transport myself independently again. Carvana. Carvana. Go to their website no. where they sell cars. Don't do anything. Never buy anything. How are you? How am I, you say? Yes, I say it. I don't ask it. I say it. I'm well, Baruch Hashem. The two people I live with are out of town for family stuff in a safe way. So I have the house to myself, which is dope. I'm waiting for my BF to come over today, which is going to be super cute. I think we're going to do the Chinese food on Christmas situation together, which sounds super cute to me. Yeah, yeah, I'm doing that too. Um, I watered all my houseplants today, and I've been planning my next class cycles, which has been cool. Trying to like take vacation and be chill while also planning for things in the future super stressed out about January. Starting January 20th, I'm going to be teaching a Mishnah Beit Midrash on Mishnah Pesachim. Listeners, if you're interested in learning Mishnah Pesachim with me, you should go to my Twitter and look at the pinned tweet to get 
all the info on this dope class that I'm going to teach. I would love to see any and every one of you there. But yeah, that's going to happen in January. And then I have another class in January. And I'm just like prematurely stressed about all the things that are going on in my life. But actually today I've been doing pretty good. I like meditated. I did a little like aerobics video to get some indoor physical activity. Oh, I played some video games. I crocheted. You're really becoming a mom. I know. I have the hot mom energy, I think. Uh, I think so. I definitely think so. Well, yeah, I know. That's what drew you to me in the first place. Uh, yes. Don't deny it. Oh, I'm not denying it. I've been thinking a lot. This sort of a conversational spandrel, but I've been thinking a lot about sickness and disability. And there's this thought or this quote or this idea I heard one time that disability is not necessarily that you can't work but it has to do with like the quality of your life when forced to work can't is actually a little bit of ephemeral of a concept you know right someone with with physical limitations like actually could perhaps walk but then they might permanently injure themselves you know so like can they walk or can't they yeah yeah so i've been exploring the possibility of like not comparing my illness to others and not constantly telling myself that i don't have it bad enough to deserve to rest. So that's been a positive psychological exploration for me. That's good. I feel like that summarizes pretty well what I'm up to right now. Well, who was that rabbi who said he's more delicate than other rabbis? Oh, yeah. I think that was, uh, was it Gamliel? Yeah, it was Rabban Gamliel in Mishnah Brachot. He said he was more delicate than other men. You're just following in the footsteps. I know, just following in the footsteps of the rabbis. Honestly, Rabban Gamliel is not the one whose footsteps I would choose, but... Yeah, wasn't he kind of a bit of a hard ass? There were many problems. Maybe one day we'll just do a whole episode on the many problems of Rabban Gamliel. Rabban Gamliel, problematic. Problematic. Problematic fave, Rabban Gamliel. Oh, love it. Okay. Michael. Yes. We have some Talmud to talk about. Yes, we do. We're going to go to Bavabatra 98B today. Bavabatra is a funny little masechet. It's a part of a set of three funny little Masechet that all have Bava in the first name. So we're going to be going to Bava Batra, uh, page 98B. But first, Michael, why don't you tell the world why we're going to Bava Batra 98B? Well, Hava. <laughs> we had a listener write in with certain details about their life, which they didn't want us to share. But they did provide a very good summary of what their question ultimately boiled down to. And their question is, how are queer people to interpret gendered relationships in the texts? Are we to A, disregard these passages that have little to no relevance in our lives, or B, reinterpret through some normalized lens, or C, something else, it's not multiple choice, combination of the two. (laughs) This is a very interesting question. I agree. And so we're going to use this Talmudic text on Bava Batra 98b to take us there. So why don't we give us a little window into what we're talking about? So this is going to be an example of one of these kinds of passages. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Okay, great. So we start with a Mishnah right at the top of Bava Batra 98b, which says, So I know that was all just a big wall of language but 
basically what's happening here is the rabbis are outlining the protocol for when someone buys or sells a plot of land in order to build either a marriage house for their son or a house of widowhood for their daughter. My understanding of this case is like you're either building somewhere for your son to live after he gets married or you're building somewhere for your daughter to live in case, God forbid, her husband dies. A friend in a Chavruta really cleverly pointed out to me that the case is probably not necessarily that they were building a house per se, but much more likely that they were building additions onto current homes. So the Gemara comes along to comment on this Mishnah, which talks about these two kinds of apartments that someone might be building. And the Gemara comes along and says, why does the Mishnah say a marriage house for the son and a widowhood house for the daughter? Couldn't it instead have said a marriage house for the son or daughter and a widowhood house for the son or daughter. So the Gemara is sort of latching on to this peculiarity, peculi- peculiarity? peculiarity in our Mishnah that there's a gendered component to what the kind of housing is being built, which is kind of interesting because the requirements for the size of each are the same regardless. The Gemara is wondering why does this peculiarity exist, which is interesting because the Talmud is full of peculiar gendered stuff, and usually the Gemara doesn't have a second thought about it. Curious that they chose this time to bring up an issue, but the Gemara's conclusion is that this happens to teach us an issue in passing. And the translation that I have from Safaria says, it comes to teach us that it is not the proper manner of conduct for a son-in-law to live in his father-in-law's home. So that is really the crux of the gender issue that we're exploring today is the Talmud has made its opinion known that it believes that it is improprietous in some way for son-in-laws to live with father-in-laws. Okay, so let's go back to the original question. We have Mm -hmm. this gender norm, this ruling. Mm -hmm. This listener asks us, do we disregard it? Or do we do the creative reinterpretation? Are you going to ask me what my take is? Yeah, what's your hot take, bitch? Okay, disregard or reinterpret. Let's say you reinterpret. I would say you have every right to reinterpret because that is the game that many of the rabbis are playing. And Hava, you'd probably know better. You could probably point to a lot of examples Mm -hmm. of like, these are rabbis (laughs) trying to reinterpret either written Torah or Mishnah and make it into normalized moral sayings. You know, they're doing that all the time. They're doing the reinterpretation, so why can't you? Right. And that's. I think that's definitely something we agree on as the premise of this show, is we're into encouraging people that they have every right to play the game as much so as our ancestors. You have every right to play the game, but for me, that's like stooping to their level, right? <laughs> because you have some kind of disdain for this game it's a fun game to play and it's like uh you know it's a fun game to play with your friends but uh-huh. i think it's it's uh, it doesn't challenge me quite as much as as kind of as confronting well, one day in the future we'll have to circle back to that but i think it's because you don't take the game seriously enough and that's why it doesn't challenge you but Anyway, that's a whole other episode. I think the game is challenging, but I don't think it emotionally challenges me. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm very good at being a troll. Like, I can be a troll. I hear you. I think the very fact that you are repulsed by it is, in fact, proof that it is an emotionally challenging place you need to investigate. 
Okay, okay. But as I have said, let's not get into a fight on this episode. So one answer to your question is reinterpret through a normalized lens. Hava's like, do it, do it, go for it if that's what you want to do. And I'm like, you can do it. It's a little lowbrow, but you can do it. So <laughs> more, more on how you can do it after Michael says whatever they're going to say. My take is that before you can disregard or reinterpret, what you have to do is understand what they're actually saying. And the meanings of the words that they're using might not have the same meanings that you think that they do. So one example I have is Aristotle in politics. He says that the building blocks of a household are marriage and doulos, slavery. And on the surface, this squicks me out. Building blocks of a household are marriage and slavery. That kind of doesn't make intuitive sense. What do these words actually mean in the context that they were written down in originally? Mm -hmm. And so doulos, it has been translated as slave in some context. Some linguists, Greek linguists, translate it that way. But its etymology is related to the word servant or attendant in Mycenaean Greek. If you know the word doula, doula comes from the word doulos, like you hire a doula to like to help you to oh, attend to I you. I wondered where that word came from. Right. So that comes from the same word. So it's very vague. And if you think about it in the context that it's being said, okay, he thinks the building blocks of a household are marriage and doulos. Two things are important about a household, marriage and slavery or marriage and like servitude, a sense of duty. Mm -hmm. Which do you think is more likely? Sure. So you can go down this route where you deconstruct things and actually find out that these rabbis, for example, might agree with you. You know, you could do the whole apologetic route. This is a process that you can do before you begin making the decision of whether or not you're rejecting or reinterpreting or accepting something that is said mm -hmm. in the Talmud. It's cool to step back and ask, why are we interested in what these rabbis from the past have to say at all. Right. What is our relationship to the source? Something to compare it to is like an artist whose work you really like. Why would you go to YouTube and watch an interview with them? Why not just take what they're doing and creating, appreciate it, and that's it? Why are we curious to hear them talk about their art? It's because mm -hmm. like, we actually want to know the context and their logic and reasoning. I think the same thing can be said about these rabbis. Like The surface level, the art that they've created is the Talmud, is the text right in front of you. Mm-hmm. Right. What we're seeking is like those interviews. We want the insight into why they're making these decisions. I think the reason why we do that is because we like to understand people. We like to get to know people who we respect or might have knowledge that we'd like to know more about. And it's mm -hmm. a way of ultimately doing internal reflection. So I think remembering that that's the meta question that you're trying to answer. What I'm hearing you say is that it might be helpful to use this idea of getting in touch with our own curiosity about the source as a way to sort of take ourselves less seriously in this whole process of Talmud that we're doing. Yes, yes. To have a little bit more of a lighter hand, which I think is great advice. It's one I frequently try to apply to myself. To me, what you're describing in terms of deconstruction is actually creative reinterpretation. Mostly because I don't think that there is some true meaning sitting there waiting to be reinterpreted. I think that every time an individual reads the text, they are producing 
the meaning for themselves. Gotcha, 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 gotcha. We, we are coming, we are coming very close to the epistemological divides between us. <laughs> that have haunted this show from the beginning. Yes, we'll, we will have to address them in a later episode at yes. some point. Yeah, I dig that. I have my own linguistic piece <gasps> to offer with regards to this. Now, instead of generalizing and babbling like me, we're actually going to dive into the specific text. <laughs> yes. Okay, great. Yes. We are going to back up all that talk. Something that was interesting for me to look into here. So the crux of the issue is this sentence that it is not the proper manner of conduct for a son-in-law to live in his father-in-law's home. That's what our English translation is. And I was really curious because proper manner of conduct is such an expansive phrase. I really wanted to get into the language there in the original, which is Aramaic, to see what was really going on there. And the set of words that are actually being translated as not the proper manner of conduct in Aramaic is de la darka. Literally, this just means that it is not the way. You could interpret that as most English interpretations seem to as a prescriptive statement saying this is not the way that son-in-laws should behave. Mm -hmm. But I think an equally valid translation, and I don't even really think this is like creative translation. This is truly just like Davka exactly what's on the page. You could also understand its tone as just being descriptive, right? This piece of Talmud is just telling us it is not the way for son-in-laws to live with their father-in-laws. I mean, one, it's a great Mandalorian reference. And two, it's just a statement of the Gemara saying this is not currently what is happening. This is not the current state of son-in-lawness. This is not the current way that it is done. This is not how we do that role right now. It's not saying that the role can't be done that way. Or that it's good or bad. It's not making a judgment. Right. It's just offering us a description of what is, which I think opens up the possibility that that can change. We don't even have to change fundamental societal ideas about what a son-in-law does. We can just be different sons-in-law, people-in-law. You know, we don't have to alter the way. We can actually just do our own thing mm -hmm. and be sort of outside the statistical norm that the Talmud right, is right. talking about. I think part of the question that's going on here is, for instance, when we see a word like this, like son-in-law, is a non-binary person, is it more productive for them to think to themselves, I am neither son-in-law nor daughter-in-law, and therefore this halacha like, just misses me, like I am not affected by it in any way? Or to take the sort of opposite tack for a non-binary person to try and find their role within what's already existing on the page to allow themselves to be affected by the halakha. Uh, yeah, yeah. This all falls into the category of like creative reinterpretation. Right. I guess part of what I'm saying is that part of maybe what might be an issue with your approach is that if you are a non-binary person who wants to live halakhically or who wants to be engaged in the halakhic process, if you find out what the rabbis are saying, you're going to find out that <laughs> they're referring to pre pretty binary gender identities. I mean, there are some places where that breaks down, but for the most part, what they're saying does not like touch on non-binariness. And so there's not anywhere further to go with that unless we massage the text a little bit. Yeah. I'm just saying, I think some of us 
are forced to reinterpret to find any semblance of ourselves in tradition, and mm. some of us are able to work with what is already present. Okay, okay. I'll shut up now. <laughs> I'm going to shut up. That's just a fact. That's just a cold, a fact, a cold heart matter of record. Facts. I didn't know you believed in those, Hava. <laughs> well, the cool thing about not believing in facts is that I can choose to believe in them whenever it's convenient because I'm not attached. Oh, my God. Just such petty notions as ontological truth. You are a beautiful, beautiful grifter. Did you know beautiful, that? Beautiful, beautiful sophist. Sophie yeah. the sophist. Sophie the sophist. So, dear listener, I hope this was helpful for you. This was my best take on the text. This actually comes up with a lot of halakha. I mean, you can choose to see a lot of Talmudic statements as descriptive. I don't actually know if the language is this way in this case, but you can choose to read things as saying like, we don't eat pork. We could, but we don't. It's fun to sort of switch between descriptive and prescriptive hats. Yeah, it is a fun little troll. Oh my gosh. Turning around the text like that and sort of reading it through a different lens is, I think, fundamental to figuring out where to go with it. And then my approach is like, don't take yourself and the definitions of the words, the preconceived definitions that you have too seriously. Right. Be curious about why they're saying the words and dig deeper and then make a decision about whether or not you want to be a troll like Hava and reinterpret or oh my God. or dismiss it outright like me. This our schism grows deeper every week. Deeper and deeper. Oy vey. Uh, cool. I think that's an episode, you guys. I think that's an episode. You're awesome. Thanks for listening to this wonderful episode of Hi, How Are You? Please go join our Patreon at patreon.com slash Chava de Cordova. We would love for you to call or text the Talmud hotline and give us a listener question. It can be about anything. We're now taking listener questions for our new advice show, which will be coming to you in February. So give us a call or a text at 401-484-1619, and you can leave us a voicemail. Or you can go to our website at chaihowareyou.com and send us a question anonymously. Send us questions about anything, anything in this whole world. Give us a like, give us a share, give us an iTunes review. Give us, give us everything you got. Because we give it to you. Please. Um, Baby, if you give it to me, <laughs> and I'll give it to you. I hope you all enjoyed this epi, and I'll talk to you again in a week. Okay, Shavuot Tov. Shavuot Tov.